listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Listeners, it has been too long, and believe me, it's good to be back and sneaking more monsters into your headphones. To get back into the swing of things, I thought this week we'd go a little more local and get back to our roots. Or, more specifically, my roots, in New England, home of quite a few cryptids and quite a few more Dunkin' Donuts. Speaking of which, in 1977, 18.6 miles away from where the first Dunkin' Donuts had been founded almost 30 years prior, the town of Dover, Massachusetts, was about to have... an unusual visitor. The story begins, like all good stories, with a group of teenagers driving down a back road at night. On April 21st, when the seasons are such that the night is still deep and dark around 10.30pm, Bill Bartlett, Mike Mazuka, and Andy Brody are driving north on a street called Farm Street. Like all good New England roads, running parallel to the road is a low, crumbling stone wall, a relic of Puritan farmers. But the creature that Bill Bartlett's headlights catch walking along the stone wall is decidedly the least Puritan-approved animal to ever live. It had a watermelon-shaped head, the same size as its torso, large, glowing orange eyes, a too thin neck, and long, spindly limbs with large hands and feet ending in long, thin digits. Bill would later describe it as being, and I quote, shaped like a baby's body with long arms and legs. Which, if that description doesn't unsettle you, you probably aren't thinking about it hard enough. This creature had apparently been making its way along the wall on all fours, long fingers curling around the rocks, when a bunch of delinquent 17-year-olds in a car had disrupted its evening stroll. The best and most credible detail about this first sighting is, in my opinion, that Bill's passengers, Mike and Andy, didn't even see the creature. After he took one look at the creature, Bill sensibly began gunning it down the road, at which point Mike and Andy asked why he had sped up. When Bill told his friends why he was taking a winding poorly lit backcountry road at 45 miles an hour, Mike and Andy reacted with true understanding and empathy. They demanded he turn around, and when he did, Mike leaned out the window yelling, Come on, creature! And Andy leaned out his window yelling, I want to see you! Which, if that isn't the most Massachusetts response to missing the chance to see a terrifying unknown creature, I don't know what is. The next sighting of the creature that would later be known as the Dover Demon is interesting for two reasons. One, it happens the very same night, to someone who had no way of knowing about the first sighting. And two, the way this next teenager encounters the creature is incredibly unsettling. Around midnight on April 21st, John Baxter leaves his girlfriend Kathy Cronin's house at the south end of Miller Hill Road. Because this is the 70s, the 15-year-old has quite a way to walk in the dark by himself to get home. So after about a half hour of walking, John is only a mile closer to home when he sees a figure walking in his direction. Because the figure is shorter, and because apparently John has never seen a horror movie, he assumes it's one of his acquaintances, M.G., who lives on the street. 
When he calls out to MG, predictably, the figure does not respond. John decides it's still a good idea to keep approaching this figure shrouded in darkness on this poorly lit street at midnight until the figure stops walking forward. John, who is very bad at reading the atmosphere, stops too and asks, Who is that? Obviously, no response. John, who apparently is either very brave or very dumb, then actually takes another step forward, at which point the figure scurries off to the left of the road, running down a shallow wooded gully and up to the opposite bank. Perhaps not so incredibly, John actually decides to chase the figure down into the gully, and he makes it about halfway across before he actually realizes what he's doing and gets a good look at the creature standing 30 feet away. Its feet are molded around the top of a rock, and it's standing upright, its figure-eight-shaped head staring right at John, waiting for what he'll do next. John then makes his only sensible decision all night and backs carefully up the slope, walking, and I quote, very fast, down the road on the intersection of Farm Street, where a couple passing by in a car pick him up and drive him back home. John goes to school the next day and tells the whole story to his close friend William Tainter, and around midnight the next night, the least credible and last sighting takes place. William is driving Abby Brabham home on Springdale Avenue, when Abby spots something in the headlights on the left side of the road. Framed in the headlight beams is a creature standing on all fours, facing the car. Its body is described as thin and monkey-like, with a large oblong head and glowing green eyes. It's described as hairless, like the Bill Bartlett sighting before it, and described as having tan or beige skin. Will only gets a glimpse of the creature before it's out of sight, and this glimpse is the last sighting of the Dover Demon since. So, what are we to make of this creature? At first blush, its anatomy is highly suggestive of another creature often seen in North America, the Grey. We'll go into more detail on Greys in a future episode, but a Grey is essentially the quintessential, big-headed, large-eyed alien creature that people see after UFO sightings, and the star of the movie Paul. The reason I won't spend much time on this idea is that greys are almost always only seen when a UFO sighting has occurred, and no one in Dover or the surrounding towns reported seeing anything unusual in the skies those nights. So, maybe it's something natural, a normal animal with an unfortunate appearance caused by disease. After all, all you have to do is Google shaved bear to know that, under the right condition, even familiar animals become strange and unnatural. Seriously, Google shaved bears. At the time the reports started to surface, some police officers even suggested that maybe, because the creature was described as three and a half to four feet tall with spindly limbs, it was just an ugly baby moose. Though personally, the possibility of a bipedal moose with spindly fingers on the end of its limbs sounds much more terrifying. One thing that we probably could expect in a natural creature is the glowing orange and green eyes. Dr. Jessica Lynch Alfaro, who appears in the Lost Tapes episode on the Dover Demon, patiently explains that many nocturnal or semi-nocturnal animals have eye shine when light is directed at their eyes at night, thanks to a special membrane in their eye called the tapetum lucidum. If you've ever gotten up in the middle of the night and been jump-scared by the sudden appearance of your dog or cat's glowing eyes, this is an excellent example of what the Dover Demon's eyes might have looked like and the eye shine going from orange to green is also not unusual, 
as different sources of light may cause an animal's eyes to reflect back different colors. What about the melon head, though? Well, a melon-shaped head is likewise not an immediate disqualifier in whether an animal is real or not. Animal heads come in all shapes and sizes, and there are several animals that are actually famous for having unusually bulbous heads, such as beluga whales, aranda goldfish, and chihuahuas. Now, we can probably safely assume that the Dover demon is not a beluga whale. Probably. Likewise, it's also probably not a goldfish. Well, a chihuahua? Closer, but chihuahuas are not generally known for especially long limbs, or being three and a half to four feet tall. You could argue, maybe, that it's an ugly deer with hydrocephaly, a condition where additional fluid around the brain can cause the head to become bulbous. But again, what about those creepy long fingers? Well, I think I have a few more creatures that may provide an explanation. But New England natives are not going to like it. Mostly because, if I'm correct, not only is the Dover demon also a New England native, but they have many more friends. Our first suspect is the Melonheads, a creature found in Michigan, Ohio, and Connecticut, though I suspect their origin is originally Connecticut. Described as small humanoids with bulbous heads that live in the woods, the Melonhead is a somewhat more modern creature with a very unfortunate backstory. In Connecticut, there are two variations on how Melonheads came to be. In version one of the myth, Fairfield County was the location of an asylum for the criminally insane that burned down in the fall of 1960. The fire resulted in the death of all staff and most of the patients. However, 10 to 20 inmates were unaccounted for, and the legend goes that they survived the fire, escaping into the woods. The legend further states that the Melonhead's appearance is a result of them having to resort to cannibalism in order to survive the harsh winters of the region, and due to inbreeding which in turn caused them to develop hydrocephalus. In version 2, the Melonheads are descendants of a colonial-era family from Shelton Trumbull, who were banished after being accused of witchcraft. To survive, the family fled into the woods. As with the first version of this legend, this variation attributes the appearance of the Melonheads to inbreeding. In both versions, though, the Melonheads patrol secluded roads running through their wooded territories and prey upon anyone who wanders these roads at night. This prowling coincides nicely with the Dover Demon's apparent affinity for roads, and the hydrocephalus fits nicely with the melon-shaped head. New England is a small area, so it's also not really a stretch that some melonheads might have taken to wandering into Massachusetts to establish new territory. This creature, at its core though, is an incredibly sad explanation, and if we believe the 1960 fire version, 17 years is definitely not enough time for that level of inbreeding mutation from the basic human shape. Maybe though there's nothing wrong with the Dover demon, and that's just how the creature looks. Our last candidate is a creature known as the Manigishi, a creature belonging to Cree folklore, and surprisingly, only one of a couple of races of small humanoids that are native to the area, the other famous native being the Pukwudgi. The Manigishi are described as small semi-humanoids with six fingers on each hand and very thin, lanky arms and legs. Most tellingly, they're also described as having big heads without noses and having a particular fondness for pranks. Unfortunately for humans, one of their favorite pranks is to crawl out of the rocks in a river with dangerous rapids 
and capsize the canoes of people canoeing through said rapids, spinning them to their death. Everyone has hobbies, I guess. So, in conclusion, we have a few good candidates. The Dover Demon could be a weird-looking bipedal moose, an inbred cannibal, or an enterprising Native American creature trying to figure out how to do the canoe trick on cars. But whatever they were, I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about the Dover Demon. As always, if you want to learn more, I hope you'll check out the show notes. Intro and outro music is by Scott Ethington. Some housekeeping. Monsters Advocate is going to an every other week schedule. I know that's kind of a bummer, but don't be sad. I'm hoping with the new format I can give you longer episodes every other week. And also maybe some improved audio quality. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. Thank you.